Oh, that's hard to follow, you know? Thanks, Rob, and contestants and audience. Uh, but it is, it's great to be here this morning on this launch Sunday as we are heading into another semester of, of ministry, a new school year, everything. It's, uh, it's an exciting time of year. And I too, as Steve has already said, just want to welcome you if you're a guest here this morning with us. It's really our privilege uh, to be able to come together this morning uh, together in this place. Um, our desire and really our number one prayer each week is that we would be a people that are encountering God together. And so it's, it's a real joy for us um, to be able to do that uh, together in this place uh, today. So uh, on that note, before we begin and really jump into this new series, I'd love for us on the front end of it, on the front end of a new semester, just looking ahead and saying, God, we would love for you to do some incredible things these coming months. Um, would you pray with me? And let's just uh, really ask God to come like we see him do so often and really work and do significant things. So yeah, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, it is a privilege and a really a joy to worship you, um, to sing these songs and to declare who you are. And for us to gather in this place, Lord, we just want to say to you with one voice, we want to say, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? But not only this morning, Lord, we're saying to you, Lord, as we begin really a, a new chapter, a new semester, Lord, we're just saying, this whole time, this whole season ahead, we're anticipating, God, that you'll do great things. And so, Lord, we just humbly lay that request before you. And I just want to give you an opportunity wherever you're at this morning. Maybe you're a committed follower of Christ. Maybe you're here just checking things out this morning. But would you pray what I think would be potentially a risky prayer for you, but also what would be an incredibly life-giving thing for you to do? Would you just say very simply to the Lord, Lord, would you lead my life during this semester? Lord, would you speak to me beginning this morning, and would you continue it on in the months to come? And so would you take just a moment, and this in the quietness of your own heart, would you say a prayer like that to God, and in your own words, but would you say something like that, opening yourself up and saying, Lord, I'm yours, I'm open to you. So go ahead and do that now. Lord, the reason why we do that and, and, and we say a prayer like that is because we trust in you, the incredibly faithful God that you are. And so, Father, thank you that you're approachable. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that you know who's had a great week and who's maybe in a harder place this morning. Lord, thank you that you know everything about us. And so, Lord, we just love you and we would say to you this morning, Lord, we're pressing into you. Lord, would you meet us in this place? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Rob said this morning, this series is that we're starting, this four-part series is called I Love My Church, and I was talking to someone recently, and they said that statement to me, and the reason why they said it was because they were reflecting on what God's been doing in their life through this gathering of people, how God has been working in not only their life, but in their family's life, and so they made that statement, they said it was really fun to hear, they said, I love my church. And in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at what are the core things that are core to the heart of God that really drive a church. Going clear back to the, the New Testament church, what were the things that were so important to the heart of God that we look at now as Brookside and we say we want to be about those things. We want those to be the very things that really drive us. And so this morning, we're going to look very specifically at some passages of Scripture that are going to 
help shape or frame our thinking, particularly about the why behind everything we do here. What drives the mission of our church? What's behind it? Because we know this. When we really drill down to these core things that are near and dear to the heart of God, when he thinks of the local church and its potential, we know that when we do these things and when we excel in them, we know that life transformation is coming. It's going to quickly follow. We know that when the local church is functioning in a healthy way, its potential is limitless. It's so exciting to think about the potential that a church can have on reaching a city, on seeing people's lives being changed, on seeing God bring healing and hope to people who had no hope before. It's the kind of stuff that when it happens, you walk away. Whether you see it in a gathering like this or you see it in another expression of the church in the city during the week, but it's the kind of stuff that you walk away and you just say to yourself, I love my church. I love it when God does that. I love it when I get to see God doing that in the life of so-and-so. I love it when I get to see that person. They were struggling. They were, they were maybe far from God, and now they're near to him, and they're experiencing an intimate relationship with the God who loves them. When you see that happening, you, can't, you and I can't help but say, I love it. I want more of that. I want everyone to be a part of it. Now, make no mistake, and I want to say this on the front end, our church is far from perfect. But when we engage with God, and when we continue to grow, and when we as followers of Christ, when we experience more and more the grace of God on display, it does cause us to stand back and look at the grace of God and say, I love it. Lord, I love seeing what you're doing. Lord, I love the fact that you call Brookside to something that's bigger than ourselves. I love it. Let me ask you a question, though. When you, when you hear that statement, I love my church. What goes through your mind? For some, maybe when you hear a statement or you read a statement like that, the first thing that you think of, man, is just a smile comes to your face because you, you've experienced the, the grace of God and, and you're seeing God working. And so immediately for you, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's a joy. It's like, yeah, I do love my church. For others of you, you might feel this way. Maybe it's, you're kind of like, wow, do I actually have permission to love my church? Because maybe you grew up and the word that would describe how you felt about your church was more like this, you tolerated your church. Or maybe your parents would say they tolerated your, their church for your sake. And if you would have known that, you would have said to them, mom and dad, quit tolerating it. Let, let's stop going. It's not worth our time. Maybe you have had that experience. Maybe you've had a bad church experience um, throughout the years. And it's shaped the way that you think about the church. Maybe you've seen one too many church leaders fall to something. And it's impacted how you think of the local church. In this series, we're going to look at why it's okay not simply to tolerate the local church, but why it's okay and why we celebrate the work of that God does through the church. We're going to look at why it's okay for us to look at different things that are happening and say, I love that. I want to see more of that. Now, when you think about what you love, there are a lot of different things, aren't there, that people would say that they love. Check out this first one. Now, some of you love, the, love dogs. You would say, I, I'm a dog. I mean, look at these cute dogs. I don't know why you'd get just one of these, you know? Why wouldn't you get three or four or five, you know? Confession to you. I love my church, but I not yet. I don't love dogs yet. I'm not, a, I'm not a dog lover. But here's the thing. I live with one. 
She's seven years old. She's the cutest girl I know, except for her wife, my wife. Um, she's, she's persuasive. She's more driven than any person that I know. And I'll tell you what, she is cracking my armor, right? I used to be, I used to have like, no way, go to the dog kennel. I would rather not. Now I take her there. I found myself the other day, I went up to a complete stranger. I've done this multiple times now in our neighborhood. And I've said, hey, what kind of dog is that? And then I kick myself and I'm like, what are you doing? You, you're giving in. You're starting to go down the slippery slope. Some of you love dogs. You think, what do you love? You, you love dogs. Some of you, you love this. Yeah, who doesn't love the beach, right? I mean, doesn't that just sound good? Just going, I don't know where that is, but I, I want to go, right? I want to dip my feet in the water. I want to sit on that chair and just have a great day. We love the beach. Some of you love this. Love coffee. Now, others, of you, others might say of you, if this is you and I'm in on this category, other people might say of you, you are actually more lovable, maybe more tolerable if you have a cup of coffee. Christina said to me the other day, very politely, um, she said, I think you just need a cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, you know, all right. Some of you love this. Yeah, you, you love that. You love the house. You bleed red. Yeah, the arms in the air over there. There we go. Go Hawkeyes. Go, go Hawkeyes, okay. We'll get to, oh, whoa, whoa. We've got dissension here. Oh, oh. The body of Christ is colliding. All right, this is great. But some of you, you love the Huskers. You love the coach. You, you, you love the players, you know the players' names. You might even know who's been suspended for the first game, right? You, you know all about the Huskers. Sorry about that. Um, and then there's a select few of you. I would call you the cream of the crop, and you love this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew, we, I knew there was two of us. Yeah. God bless you. Yeah, that's great. For my own safety, you can take that off the, the screen. We love a lot of things, don't we? But I got to tell you, I love the church. When I think about all the things that I love in life, one of the things that rises to the top is I love the church because I love the potential of what the church can do in people's lives. I love it. In Acts chapter 2, we get this glimpse of the early church. Now, you can just imagine this. This is on the front end. This is this gathering of people. It makes me wonder. I wish I could have been there when, when Pastor Steve and that initial group began Brookside. What was that like? We get a look, though, in Acts chapter 2 of, of the very first group, the people that were gathered together, and we get some detail on what were they doing, and what they were doing, it sets a pattern, it helps us, it informs us on what should be even important to us. But imagine being there. What was it like? What did it feel like? How often did they have those moments when they said, I love my church? This is how it's described in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bre bread and to prayer. Everyone, imagine that, that's huge. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the, by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold uh, property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Imagine, I mean, think about all the things that they're doing, that they're getting right. And what were they doing when they were gathered in their homes? They were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people, meaning they loved their church. 
And the Lord, what was he doing as a result of them honoring him? It says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now here's the thing about this group of people. They discovered what it was like to love people who were not a part of their family as if they were a part of their family. This was a group of people that they discovered what it was like to be known. They discovered what it was like to truly ask good questions and really get to know the heart of other people. They discovered what it was like to serve, and they knew what it felt like to be served. This was a group of people that they were so in love with the life-changing message of the local church that they shared it. And they shared it so boldly that persecution broke out in that time, and their backs were against the wall often. But what did they do? They loved it so much, and they knew that the cause that they were living for was so noble. It was so worth giving their lives to that they endured. And so here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we're gathered together. Why? Because the message, the cause of the local church is so great. You know, if we and I could get into the mind of those people in that church, I bet you they had these moments oftentimes when they said, I love my church. I love the fact that neighbor over down the street, he found Christ here. I love the fact that 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 person, they didn't have any hope, but now they do. I love my church. I love seeing God change lives. I love seeing and being a part of what God is doing. Because here's the thing that's true. It was true then and it's true here today. When the local church is operating in a God-honoring way, people far from God, they find him. And those who find him, they learn how to follow him with all of their lives. And it's the most incredible journey a person could ever be on. I love it. And it's worth loving. Now, don't miss this. The power of the local church is the world's greatest hope. The power of the local church is the world's greatest hope. There's nothing like it. You can see why in the midst of persecution, and not just for this church, but throughout church history, you can see why when persecution came, people actually endured. They kept going. When their backs were against the wall, they kept proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ because they knew there's nothing more life-transforming. There's nothing, nothing more eternally significant. They loved it. I heard this quote at the Leadership Summit. This, this guy, one of the speakers said, find something you are willing to die for and then live for it. And I thought to myself, wow, that, that's the local church. Well, those people, they looked at the local church and they said, wow, it's, it's the message bearer of, of Jesus Christ. And they said, wow, there's, there's nothing greater. You and I, we have these I love my church moments when, when someone that we know walks through these doors, maybe for the first time the gospel makes sense to them. Maybe for the first time that person says, wow, I didn't know that, that God is actually for me. I, I didn't know before that, wow, I, I'm, I was trying to, you know, be right and pursue God in this way and And now I realize that was really taking me nowhere. It was kind of on the performance track, but I realized, whoa, the grace of God is for me, even though I? And you see that, and you see a person light up with that. There's nothing better. Nothing better than seeing a person that you've invested in, and they they walk through these doors eventually after you've said, you know what, I'm taking a risk, and I'm going to invite you. And they come, or they come to a small group, or that you meet them at work, and and you share the life changing message of the local church with him there's nothing greater i have these i love my church moments 
when I see what the church is doing around us, when we get to see the gospel come to life for people, people that would say, I was hopeless, but now I have hope. I love my church when I see scores of volunteers doing things that would not be possible without them. We had volunteers that were here this morning right after 6 o'clock getting ready for today. I'm thinking, wow, I love seeing the local church work, but why? It's because it's the message bearer of the gospel, which is the most critical thing. I love it when we see children's faces light up because of what they're hearing and what they're seeing and what they're singing. I love my church when I have this, I love my church moment when I see the next generation, when I see a high school student getting it, and then they're giving their life to worthy causes. And there's nothing greater when we see the next generation just rising up right in front of us. I love my church when I see a middle school student connecting with an adult leader that's a second voice in their life, and that leader pours into them a godly voice that's so needed. Oh, I just go, whew, if I get fired, I'm still sending my kids here. I love the church, right? I love my church. Why? Because sometimes my kids come home and they brag about it. They brag about what they've experienced. They brag about their church. A few weeks ago, our oldest son, he said, I love Brookside. I think Rob is the best singer in the entire world, he said. So that's awesome. He's a pretty good pancake thrower too, right? I love my church. Here it is. I, this is so important. I love my church because I know if I invite someone here, this is not a place for just perfect people. I love my church that, that we're not going to throw stones here. I love my church that a person can come here and they might have a messy situation in their life and they're going to find grace and they're going to get pointed in a good direction and they're going to be surrounded by other good people, godly people. I love my church because we get to see broken people get healed. We get to see hopeless people find hope and keep going. People that are on the verge of giving up, we get to see them go, oh, I can go another week. Oh, I, God's got a better season for me ahead. I love seeing that. I love my church when we get to see the faces of these orphaned kids in Zambia. And not only now are they being fed, and not only now are they hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but now, as of this year, some of them, or many of them, are getting an education through high school. I look at that and I go, I love my church. I love my church when I sit in a board meeting. And it's as though there's this sense, God is big, God is faithful, and you know what? The future is bright, and, and there's this sense of, God, you can do anything, and God, we want to press into the causes of Christ. We want to do everything that we can to advance the gospel in our city and around the world. And I love those moments. I love it when I hear about a small group that's surrounding a family that's really having a hard time, or an individual that's just, man, life's just throwing them some curveballs. But then you hear about this small group of people that they step up and, and all of a sudden it's, it's not, not the church staff that's getting the phone call, it's the small group that's getting the phone call. And this person, this family, they're being surrounded. I love that. And when you hear those stories, you just stand back and you go, I love my church. I love my church because of this as well. This week, actually next week, we'll have a go team in the, in the country of Turkey. And get this, 60 children of these Muslim families that are refugees from all over the Middle East, they're going to be coming to a day camp where they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. Next week, 60 of these kids from all over the world 
are going to hear about Jesus Christ for the first time. I hear that and I think, wow, imagine if just half of them understand the life-changing message of Christ, what they're going to do on the global scale. I think of that and I just go, I love my church. But if you were to ask the question, what drives it all? Well, what's the thing that motivates everything that we do? It all comes down to one statement for us. And it's a statement that we really believe reflects the heart of God, that the, the Lord would say, okay, if the church is truly going to be the, 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 the greatest hope for the world, then what does the church truly need to be about? And this is the statement, and we want you to know this statement. Here it is. This is our mission. This is the core. This is the very reason why we do everything we do at Brookside. We want to help people, helping people find and follow Jesus. Uh, that's what we are all about. Hopefully the first thing that you noticed in that statement is that it isn't about Brookside. It isn't about Brookside. It's for Brookside, and it's to direct Brookside very well, but it's all about helping people find and follow Jesus. If you were to ask this morning, maybe you're new here, you were to ask, what's the DNA of Brookside? Uh, what at the core is Brookside really about? Why does Brookside exist why do people get welcomed out in the parking lot? Why do you do that? Um, uh, why do you seek to have compelling environments so a fourth grader walks into a classroom and they go, this is going to be the best hour of my week. Oh, why do we do that? Why do we encourage people to be in small groups? Why do we encourage people to get, to get training, to grow deeper in their faith? Why do we send people out? Why do we take the time to celebrate and tell stories of life change? Why do we do it all? It all comes back to our mission. Why do we do everything we do? It's because we believe that the gospel changes lives, and it all comes back right here to Jesus Christ. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. Jesus is the center of it all. If you, if you were to look at the storyline of the Bible from, from cover to cover, you would see this starting right at the beginning. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, you would see that, okay, our creator God, he looked at his creation, and in God's holiness, and in God's perfection, and in how God is completely set apart from us in his utter righteousness, God looked at mankind, and starting in Genesis chapter 3, mankind started to, started to go south. They started to make choices that weren't right, that they were against the very nature of God. Mankind started to sin and began to go on a path. Now, here's the thing. This perfect, loving creator could have said, I wash my hands of you. I'm done with you. But instead, we know if you continue to read through the scriptures, we know that God did not do that. Though mankind, though you and I, our sin is offensive to a holy God. God said, no, I'm going to step into that. John chapter 3 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So... So this holy God doesn't just look at the mess and how you and I, by our own choices and our own will and our own desires, are going astray. God says, no, no, I'm going to step in. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to buy back. I'm going to make new a people who have gone astray. I didn't send my son into the world to condemn the world. No, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what? What's the church about? To redeem the world, to save the world through him. So if you have God up here and he is holy infinitely, he's perfect, he's righteous, he's incredible. I mean, this is the why we worship this morning. 
And then you say, okay, where are we at? Okay, well, we've got sin in our lives. Okay, there's a gap then. You and I, we, we, we wouldn't disagree with this. We have gone astray. That's us. So there's this gap between God and us. And what did Christ, what did God do? He sent his son right in the midst of that gap. And he said, okay, I'm sending my son right into the midst of it. Why? What's the cause? What's the cause? Jesus was all about this helping people find and follow God himself. And it's the greatest cause, and it's the thing that the church is called to. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn it, but God looked at it and said, you, and your, your view of God might be, oh, he's just condemning, he's just mean, he's just angry. Well, the, you look through the scriptures, and you're going to find this. You're going to find this to be true over and over again. God looked at the mess, and instead of refraining from it, he entered into it. Why? Because he longed to redeem it. You may have come to church maybe with a lot of religious experiences in your past. And maybe you come with that this morning, maybe for you, it was years ago, maybe it was growing up. Um, but know this, Jesus offers relationship. When we look at these words, find and follow, here's the thing that we've gotta remember, it's completely relational. Jesus is all about relationship. In John chapter 17, verse three, he said this, now this is eternal life, that they might, and these are two really important words, that they might know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Meaning this, eternal life is all about knowing God. It's completely relational. Jesus is so against empty religion because he sees over and over again. We see this in the Gospels. Jesus would confront the religious because he knew their meaningless traditions, if they were into them with, with no meaning toward God, he knew that they were a roadblock to their hearts to be able to truly engage with him. It's such a defining moment when a person realizes that their heavenly father doesn't just want them to participate in religion, but when their heavenly father goes, no, I want you to find and then intimately follow me. It's completely relational. When that happens in your life, and I know those of you who've had that moment, you would say this, it is a critical defining moment. It's a game changer for you. A few weeks ago, we took some vacation time and we, were, we headed um, to eastern Iowa, and, and on our way back, our kids kept asking us if, if we could stop. They've heard us talk about the college that we went to, and, and um, uh, so they kept saying, hey, could we stop by Iowa State and just see the campus, you know? And, and you know, in a kid's mind, they don't know what a college campus is, you know? So we thought, oh, this would be kind of fun, so we kind of planned around it. And, and so we, um, we took the kids to the campus, and, and we began to walk around, and, and the oldest two kids, um, nine and seven, were into it. They, they, were, they were loving it. They were like, wow, what was over here? And, oh, tell us again about that story, you know, whatever. And we were reminiscing and having a good time. But the youngest was having nothing to do with it. And it was a really hot day. And so it just made it all the worse. And, you know, it only takes one bad apple in the group. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so we're kind of, we're going through it all. And so we got this thought. All the buildings are locked, obviously. It's like a Sunday afternoon. But we thought, you know, maybe the library's open. And, and maybe we could get in and walk around the library. It'd be cool off a little bit. And so we approached this, this mammoth library and on this, right in the center of this campus. And as we approached it, we were talking about different things that happened at Iowa State. And, and as we approached it, though, and we started to go up the stairs, I took the family over to the left a little bit. And so these are the entrance doors to the library. I took them over to the side a little bit on the stairs that led up to the library. And I just said, I said, hey, kids, I said, this is the place 17 years ago where I found God. I said, yeah, I mean, these are, <laughs> these are stairs, concrete, I get it. Um, but this is the place where the gospel made sense to me. Uh, this is the place where 
where God got a hold of me, and I didn't get all emotional, sorry I am right now, but um, they were kind of like, it's hot, Dad, let's go in the library. But, <laughs> but it was a meaningful moment for me. And if I had been there alone, i tell you what, I would have sat there and I would have bawled and bawled and bawled. Because I can't tell you the gratitude I think about that moment. I mean, I was in that moment. It was, it was right there 17 years ago when verses like this, Titus chapter uh, 3, verse 5, it says this. It says that he saved us. This came to life for me. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. I, I always thought on the performance track, if I just do this, do this, do this, and that's how I started college. I thought, well, I'm just going to try to be a good person. I'm going to do a couple of these, and I'll do this on, on Sunday afternoon to make up for Saturday night. And That's just kind of how I lived. But when I read a verse like that, that he saved me, not because of the righteous things that I have done, here it is, but because of his mercy, I thought, wow, what a game changer that is. That's the gospel. My life would never be the same. As a college student, I started thinking very seriously, I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account for my life. And what am I going to trust in? And when I was asked that day on those stairs, my answer was this little bitty foolish list of good deeds. And then I met the grace of God, and I'll tell you what, it rocked me. It hit me like a freight train. There's nothing greater than the power of the gospel. Brookside's mission is all about Jesus Christ because there's nothing greater. Jesus is our starting place. If you think about your heart even in, in your own body, right? Your heart pumps blood to your arteries, through your veins, to all your organs, right? It's the center. It is the, it is the life-giving beginning place. We look at our mission and we say, Jesus Christ, he is our motivation. It all begins with him. And I want to back up with you in, the, in this statement. I want to look at the first couple words. This is powerful. So it's all about Jesus Christ, but it starts with this. It starts with something that is so near and dear to the heart of God. It's helping people. It begins like this. In John chapter 10, Jesus put it this way. He said, I have come, and here he said this, that they may have life and have it in all of its fullness. What was Jesus, who was he talking, who was the, the subject there? Is people. I have come that they may have life and have it in all of his fullness. We know this. It's all about people. You know this to be true. There is a level of satisfaction when you build something. right? Anybody have that experience? You, you constructed something, and it was hard, and you sweat and spent money on materials, and, and it was done. You looked at it, if it turned out right, and you said, oh, that, that feels good. Or the car breaks, or the kid's bike breaks, or whatever it is, and you're able to fix it. You stand back and you go, that was satisfying. I, I was able to fix that. Or, or you're working on a project at work, and you finally get it to completion, and you look at it, and you go, oh, good, we're done. Oh, that's satisfying. Or you're able to work on a worthy cause, and it brings you satisfaction. But we would all agree, no matter what causes we give ourselves to, we would all agree that the most important thing, the thing that is most satisfying is when you and I get to see lives being changed. And so our mission, it starts this way, it's all about people. We truly want to help people find and follow Jesus Christ because everyone Hear this, everyone will spend eternity somewhere, every single person. That's why our mission is so critically important. Know this, God's people, the people in our city, they are God's most precious possession. 
And so when you see people, you're not just seeing another person. You're seeing God's most precious possession. And so whatever we do, whatever we build, whatever we fix, we look around us and we go, who are the people? Who are the people involved? Who are the people that my life can change? Because we as a church, as a group of people, we want to help people. We want to lead people because there's nothing more dear to the heart of God than people. I love my church because it's all about people. Let's keep going. The next two words in our statement are this that are very important. Helping people. Here we go. Find and follow Jesus. Those, word, those two words, they really go together because when you find Jesus, the next thing, the very next thing you do is you begin to follow him. When you find Jesus, that's, that's, the, that's my stairs moment. That's when I found him. But the next thing was, okay, now I'm following him. And when you truly find Jesus, the natural outflow of finding him is you begin to follow him. If you read through the gospel book of, of Matthew, you see the storyline of the life and the ministry of Jesus from his birth on. And, and you see him, you see him heal people. You see him um, heal people that were haunted with diseases that they'd had all of their lives. You see Jesus interacting with people. You see Jesus give grace to people that other people, they were ready to stone. But Jesus extends grace to them. You see Jesus teach. You watch him and you see him do this repeatedly. You see Jesus offer people invitations. You see Jesus offer very average people, people we would say, oh, that's surprising, whatever. Jesus wasn't out, he wasn't picking favorites. Jesus was saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to pick people who will follow me. And so we see Jesus say things like this, come and follow me. And if you do, Jesus says, I'm going to take however God has wired you and whatever God, however God has designed you, and I'm going to use your one and only life for a grander purpose than you ever dreamed of. And we see over and over in the Gospels that God says, I'm not just going to hold that out for a few. God looks at the church. He looks at all people. He says, I made you uniquely. I love you. And I'm going to give you a grander purpose, a purpose that's far, far beyond you. You keep going through the book of Matthew. When you get to the end, after Jesus has gone to the cross and he's been resurrected from the grave, we see Jesus gathered together at his closest. And he galvanizes this mission that he's been Uh, putting into them, infusing in them along the way. But he galvanizes it. He brings it all together and he says these words to them. He gives them this lifelong mission that impacts the church today. Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... I want you to go, and you make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here it is, what a big promise, how comforting this must have been to them and to us. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. When I was sitting on those stairs at that library that day, know this, I wasn't sitting alone. Right next to me was a guy named Jake. Jake was an engineering student. But Jake had become a a follower of Christ. He found Christ months before. He was not a seasoned Christian. Months before he's sitting there with me, he found Christ. He took those verses very seriously. Go into the all the world. Look at people the way that I do. Share Christ with them. Help them find and follow Christ. Care about people more than you care about anything else. He looked at people differently. 
And so I'm sitting next to Jake, and Jake begins to share the gospel with me. And i got to tell you this, the thing that I take away from Jake, and it's still true of him today, is this. He's asking God, Lord, help me see people the way that you see them. God, help me see, help me live my life through the lens that you would want me to live it. Know this, God calls his church, God calls you, God calls me to be a Jake. God calls you to be. God says the church is not the structure, it's not this campus, it's us. It's the people of God going, God, you've given me this hope that is incredible. I can't believe it. You've graced me with it. And so what do I do? God says, I want to call you to something great. I want you. I'm going to allow you to be a part of this, this process where the gospel is going to infuse the city. And then it's going to change the world. Think about this. The power of the local church is the world's greatest hope. There's no doubt about it. I love what Peter said. I mean, think about it. Peter's a part of this group. He's hearing all this, this charge from Jesus. But then Peter puts it in his own words. And you get to the, the book of First Peter. He puts it like this. He says, but you, talking of us, he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And this is it. Why did Peter say this? That you may declare. Why are we a chosen people? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Here it is. Peter's saying, oh, you guys, you're a chosen people. You know the grace of God, but why do you know it? That you may declare. That's the mission of the church. The mission of the people of God is to say, okay, I'm going to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. A thriving local church is the world's greatest hope. And what makes the local church thrive is people that grab a hold of the mission of God and they say, yes, no matter what I do, no matter what God calls me to vocationally, no matter what classroom I'm sitting in, I'm going to look around and I'm going to say, okay, God, help me see these people through, through the eyes that you would want me to see them. Help me help them find and follow Jesus Christ. And so I want to close with this. The first thing is just a set of questions. Here they are, two of them. Ask yourself this. Have I found Jesus? And if you found him, then ask yourself this question, am I following him? And if you would say, I'm not following him, but I think I found him, question whether you really found him. And the reason I say that is not to be rude, but to say, wow, when you truly find him, it will propel your life to follow him. One thing that I love about my church is that each week you can come and you can receive the grace of God and you can, you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than you can give your life to than the cause of Christ. I love my church. And number two, the second question is this, just very practically, I hope this is, who is someone in my life that God could use me to help them find and follow him? Help them find and follow Jesus. And so even if you've got your little program today, I would encourage you, jot a name down and just say, Lord, help me to see this person as you see them. Help me to be the kind of person that I'm a part of this movement called the local church. It's the most incredible movement that we could possibly be a part of. I love my church. I love it. I love what God calls us to. I love that you and I, you know what, we, we don't come here and we're just playing games. Well, I tell you what, we come here to worship this incredible holy God and then God sends us out each week to say, God, everything that you've given me, you've entrusted me with, God, I want to I share it. I want to do everything I can to help people find and follow Christ. Let's do this. Let's just pray to that end.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the local church. Thank you, Lord, that the power of the local church is the world's greatest hope. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, today. If, if someone's here today and they would say, I know you, so many of us, God, we want to say thank you for the fact that you gave us your grace. Lord, thank you for my stairs moment. Thank you for the day that you became so incredibly real to me on a relational level, so much more than religion. And if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I've, I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ, I want just to say to you, I want to give you an invitation where you can pray just a simple prayer to him and you can say, I, Lord, I, I have sinned, I have wronged, I have gone astray. I've wronged you, God. You are a holy and infinitely great God. And so, Lord, I put my trust not in what I can muster up on my performance track, on my resume, but I put my trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I'll tell you what, your life will be forever, forever, forever changed. And Father, for all of us, Lord, that name that we write down, that person that comes to mind, Lord, we're just saying as a church, Lord, we want to grab a hold of the things that were so incredibly important to you. And so, Lord, would you help us be a people that we help others find and follow you? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, let's stand and worship together.